This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, where hundreds of researchers make new discoveries inspired by the work of previous Dana-Farber scientists. Learn more about their momentum at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Why the battle for the skies is mostly unmanned and Ukraine's internal fight against corruption. This is the State of Ukraine from NPR News. Air warfare between Russia and Ukraine is different. Since the war began, the two countries have fought to control the sky. That involves missiles, drones, and a range of air defense systems, but it only rarely involves pilots. NPR's Greg Myrie reports. This is the recurring sound of the air war. Ukrainian air defense systems on the ground fired incoming Russian drones. These battles play out daily. Russia unleashes its drones and missiles. Ukraine often shoots them down and fires back with its own weapons. This air war is also unprecedented because it rarely involves pilots on either side. This goes very much against the traditional perception of air combat. Kelly Greco is with the Stimson Center. It is funny to think that Top Gun Maverick is uh, Oscar-nominated this year. And here we are watching an air war happening, and it looks very different from anything that we see in Top Gun. Greco closely tracks the air war in Ukraine. There are aircraft that are still flying at times, but we're talking very small number of sorties compared to past wars. When Russia invaded last February, its air campaign initially looked to be straight from the standard playbook. Russia sent waves of pilots and advanced fighter jets. The nearly universal assumption was Russia's powerful air force would quickly overwhelm Ukraine's much smaller force and establish air superiority. But Ukraine made the most of its limited air defenses, shooting down dozens of Russian fighter jets and helicopters in the first few months of the war. Since then, Russia, to the surprise of many, has largely stopped sending piloted aircraft into Ukraine's airspace. We stared at that for the entire first three months of the war, going, why aren't they applying the basic tenets of air doctrine? Retired U.S. Air Force officer Pete Gersten knows these tenets well. He flew combat missions as an F-16 pilot early in his career and later commanded U.S. drone operations. He says it's still not entirely clear why the Russian Air Force has fared so poorly. But he stresses that Russia still has well over a thousand advanced fighter jets with well-trained pilots that are not being sent into the skies over Ukraine. Russian pilots are some of the best pilots in the world. Let's not make that mistake. And they're also some of the most disciplined pilots in the world. For now, Russia has chosen to keep these pilots and their planes on the sidelines because they've been so vulnerable. It's relying on missiles and drones, which are much cheaper and easier to replace. Again. Kelly Greco. That's what the Russians have learned is that this is a war where it's much more sustainable to be able to use unmanned assets, whether those unmanned assets are drones or missiles. This is also forcing Ukraine to make a tough choice. Ukraine is firing its scarce and expensive air defense missiles to take down Russian drones. Russia gets these drones from Iran, perhaps for as little as $20,000. If Ukraine runs out of these missiles, that could clear the way for Russian pilots and fighter jets to return to Ukraine with a greatly reduced threat of being shot down. Drones, meanwhile, are playing a growing role in non-combat operations on the Ukrainian side. 
Consider the Canadian company Dragonfly. It's been making drones for civilian use for more than two decades. CEO Cameron Chell says it never did business in a war zone until last year. We were contacted by an American NGO that couldn't get their ambulances into besieged cities and asked if we could use our drones, which can carry sensitive pharmaceuticals, insulins, and things like that. And then it's just expanded exponentially. Around 50 Dragonfly drones now operate in Ukraine. They conduct search and rescue operations. They detect landmines from the air. They deliver blood and other critical supplies to frontline areas. Chell says this war is demonstrating how a smaller country can use civilian drones creatively and effectively when facing an enemy with a larger, more powerful, traditional air force. We see budgets and thinking from all the defense forces around the world now shifting rapidly into the adoption and use of drones in this area. And again, not just for war fighting, but actually for logistics and for medical and for humanitarian. Still, Ukraine says it wants more fighter jets. Specifically, it wants the American F-16, which can require years of pilot training. But Ukraine's defense minister, Oleksiy Reznikov, told NPR he doesn't think that's an obstacle. When I ask about F-16, I never heard about it's a problem with the spare parts or supply chains, etc., etc. The answer was normally, oh, Alexei, you know, it's a very long period of training courses for your pilots. But President Biden has been clear. The U.S. is sending air defenses, but not fighter jets, which would put more pilots in the sky. Greg Myrie, NPR News. A number of Ukrainian government officials have been fired recently. This is part of an effort to root out corruption, which has been a big problem in Ukraine even before the war. But the high-profile firings have raised questions about how the international support pouring into Ukraine is being handled. NPR's Leila Fadel spoke with Connor Savoy from the Center for Strategic and International Studies about Ukraine's corruption problems. So let's start with these crackdowns. They came just before this EU summit in Kyiv were they intended to show European leaders and donors that Ukraine is actually doing something about corruption. Yeah, I think it absolutely shows that Ukraine remains committed to this fight around anti-corruption. Um, I think, you know, timing is probably somewhat coincidental as this is, I think, part of a much broader um, investigation that's been ongoing for some time. But of course, the optics of it play quite well um, with EU folks uh, arriving today and, and, and the um, U.S. inspector generals from DOD, USAID, and state were just there the other day as well. So I think it really underscores that you, this government, that Zelensky's government, remains committed to fighting corruption. Now, Ukraine has a troubled history with with corruption, and there are questions. Ukraine's gotten billions of dollars of needed assistance, weapons and otherwise, from the U.S. Should the U.S. government and other allies be worried that this kind of aid could end up in the wrong hands and pockets? I think it's clear that there's, you know, Ukraine has had a long history with corruption since independence. However, I think that we should have a high level of confidence that the assistance we're providing, both weapons, humanitarian, economic aid, is is safe. Um, there's been nothing to suggest, uh, certainly since 2014, since the revolution of dignity, the Maidan revolution, uh, that there's been any corruption associated with the significant volumes of aid that we've provided. Uh, we have a lot of safeguards in place 
Uh, the Europeans have a lot of safeguards in place. Um, I think you know what we do want to underscore is to the Ukrainian government that we do need to have a full accounting of where all this money is going. And and that's, you know, the IGs, the inspector generals were there, I think, really to deliver that message. And I think the Ukrainian government understands that. They 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 get it. This is their lifeline, and it's keeping them in the fight against Russia right now. Mm. Now, it sounds like what you're saying is this is a really good step in the right direction when it comes to fighting corruption in Ukraine. But I'm assuming this isn't solving it. Where do you think most significant reforms are needed? Yeah. No, this is a I mean I think this is a this is a positive. You're absolutely right. Um but there's still a lot that needs to be done. Um look, I think you sort of have two systems in Ukraine right now. You have a legacy system from the immediate post-war years that is dominated by oligarchs, vested interests, corruption. Um, you have another sort of emergent system that's more Western-leading, that's young, that's innovative, that's you know tech-focused. Those people want to see action on corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 former. You know, they continue, though, to hold a lot of the levers of power. Um, and we need to see more action in the judicial sector. Um, we need to see more action sort of with uh, transparency and accountability across the government. Um, and again, they've taken a lot of good steps, but, you know, the judicial sector in particular remains very prone to corruption, to elite capture. Uh, independent media still remains a challenge um, in the country. There, there are some great sources right now, uh, but you know, in the run-up to the war, you still saw a lot of oligarchs execute uh, influence through through media holdings and things like that. So there's there is still much to be done in Ukraine. Connor Savoy, senior fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been great. Thanks for listening to The State of Ukraine from NPR News. Please come back to this feed for more on the war and its impacts around the world. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me. And I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. 